morning and do take a seat. It's lovely to see you. Let me add my welcome to Jay's. Uh, you're especially welcome if you're a visitor. My name is James Ballinger. I'm the assistant minister here. And it's my privilege to uh, spend a few minutes speaking from that passage from Luke's gospel uh, that Luca Callahan read to us. Before we do, why don't we say a prayer and ask God to help us. Loving Father, we thank you that you are a God who not only waits for us, but speaks for us, speaks to us and calls us home. And so, Father, we pray, speak to each one of us this morning. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. How badly do you have to treat someone to destroy the relationship permanently? How nasty does a friend or a family member have to be to you before a line is crossed and the relationship is destroyed? We've got an amazing capacity, haven't we, to forgive, to forget, to move on. But sadly, we know that sometimes there is a point where a relationship's irredeemable. It's gone too far. And for many of us, that's not an academic kind of question, is it? I was 19 when my father told me he never wanted to speak to me again. The trigger was something incredibly trivial, and I haven't spoken to him since. Or think of the... uh, young couple who once were so in love and now they're not only divorced and separated but they hate each other's guts it's a theme that runs through many songs many books many films think of uh, michael corleone's cutting words to his brother in in the film the godfather freddo you're nothing to me now you're not a brother you're not a friend i don't want to know you or what you do And the haunting question is, can we ever get to that point with God? It's a question that our passage this morning addresses. Can we get to the point where we dream of reconciliation with God, but we've gone too far? We've blown it too badly, even for God. Well, let me give you a little bit of the setting of this story. It's a story that Jesus tells to a crowd of people that they're kind of crowding around to listen to him. And there are two different groups in the crowd. On the one hand, there's people who've blown it. They've come to Jesus in in the kind of vague hope that maybe he might be able to give them reconciliation with God. But they don't know if he can. They've really blown it. And then there's another group who are religious and righteous. And they look down on those other guys. Those guys, they've blown it. Why is Jesus bothering with them? They, They grumble and they mutter. Surely God doesn't bother with them, so why is Jesus? Well, that's the trigger for Jesus to tell this story. And there's two themes that come through. The first is a wonderful theme. Jesus is saying no one has ever blown it too badly for God. On the contrary, God loves it. He rejoices when people who've blown it come back to him. It's a marvelous theme, and that's the kind of God God is, Jesus says. But the second theme is a shock. It's offensive. Because Jesus is saying it's not just murderers or or notorious criminals who've blown it with God. Each one of us have. And Jesus makes it clear to us, all of us have blown this relationship and we need to come back to God. Well, let's look at the story. Verse 11, we're told there was a man who had two sons. And really, this is just part one of the story. There's a second part and a second son, which we'll look at next week. But today we just see the younger son and he's about to blow it big style. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And then very matter-of-factly, we're told his father divided the estate between them. 
But do you see what's going on here? He's asking for his inheritance. And what is an inheritance? An inheritance is something, by definition, that you get when somebody dies. He's saying, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want the stuff that will come to me when you're dead, but I can't wait until you're dead, so give it to me now. It's only eight short words there, isn't it? Give me my share of the inheritance. But they're relationship shattering. It's as if he looked his dad in the eye and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And friends, can we see the shock of this? It would be worse than a nightmare, wouldn't it, if a child of ours said that to us. But Jesus is saying it's, ter- it's terrible because it's not just a picture of family conflict. It's a picture of how people treat God. It's a picture of how you and I treat God. And, and in this story, the, the Father is God and the Son is each one of us. It's a chilling description, Jesus gives us, of sin. I used to think that sin was kind of doing bad things. But according to the Bible, sin is, is not so much bad things as much as this attitude to God. I want God's stuff, but I don't want God. And there are three kind of headings I'd love to, to lodge in your hearts and mind this morning. And the first is this. We treat God as if he were dead, and it kills us. We treat God as if he were dead, and it kills us. And, and I take it this is quite an odd thing to say. So, so I'm going to spend most of our time on, on this. The world is full of so many wonderful things, isn't it? I wonder when was the last time you, you fell about laughing with a friend. Or when you woke up in the morning and the sky was so beautifully pink and purple that it just made your day. Or maybe the, the feeling of falling in love. And the Bible says all of those wonderful things are a gift from God. That God is a loving father who cares for his creatures. He, he looks after us and blesses us. And that we're designed for a relationship with him. That we should relate to our father God as sons and daughters. And yet by nature, all of us is like this young son. We want our father's stuff, but we don't want our father. And some people do it very explicitly. God is a delusion, they shout. But most of us just do it much more kind of casually. I spent the first 20 years of my life just ignoring God. didn't even occur to me to think, what might my father in heaven want me to do? I just ignored him. But ignoring someone is deeply painful, isn't it? It's cruel. We treat God as if he were dead. And it kills us. But for a time, it doesn't feel like that, does it? Maybe for a long time, it doesn't feel like that. And that's the the son's experience. For a time, it feels good. He feels free. And we see he he gathers all his inheritance together, and he sets off on his OE to a distant country. And there, Jesus says he squandered his wealth. But that's Jesus' comment, isn't it? In, In the moment, it wouldn't have felt like that. In fact, he's having a ball. He's away from his father. He's in an exotic new land. He can do what he likes, and so he parties. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll seven days a week. It's wild and wonderful. His friends see his Instagram, and they just are so envious. But it doesn't last. And soon his wealth is gone, and he ends up empty. Verse 14, after he'd spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And the party suddenly seems like a lifetime ago. Now he's just concerned with feeding himself. So he goes out, and he hires himself out uh, to a citizen in that country, we're told, who sent him to feed his pigs. And the boy longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, 
but no one gave him anything. And you see what a fool this is. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And for Jews, pigs are unclean animals. And this boy has fallen so far that he's now having to look after these untouchable animals. And though he works hard, his wages are not enough to feed himself. And so he looks enviously at the pigs. He wants to eat their food. He's all alone. He has nothing. No one to look after him. And you see the tragedy for what it is. This is probably the first time in his life he was in need. His father used to look after him. He had everything he wanted. And then he decided to treat his, God, his father as if he were dead. And it's killed him. But do you know what I find most shocking in this whole story? It's verse 17. Beginning of verse 17 says this. When he came to his senses. And I find that shocking because that means he wasn't aware of the mess he was in he, he, he didn't quite get it he was feeding those pigs and he didn't quite understand how serious the situation was I picked up these pods from my garden yesterday they're, they're pretty similar to the carob pods he would have been eating carob pods are a little bit bigger and fatter than this but imagine being so hungry that you look at some crumpled up pods like this and your mouth waters can you imagine that it's, it's shocking. It's, it's insane, isn't it? And yet he is in such a mess, he doesn't realize that. For a time, he's going on, and he doesn't realize. And the tragedy is we can be far from God, we can be in a, a mess spiritually, and not realize. Think of a guy who wanted to be a lawyer. He wanted to be a lawyer all of his life. He, he at school, worked so hard, aiming to be a lawyer. And he got good grades, and uh, he did well in his bar exams he became a successful lawyer won an award he traveled the world he had it all but all he could say was i haven't found what i'm looking for and he wasn't sitting in a pigsty he was saying it from a luxury mansion but inside he was empty spiritually dead cut off from god a famine in his heart and the bible says we treat god as if he were dead and it kills us and some of us do that like this sun. We, we seek for pleasure and we pour out our, our energies in pleasure seeking. Others do it with career. We, we chase after success. Others look for happiness in their families or uh, others just seek after a quiet life. I just want to own a home and settle down and be quiet. But underneath it all, the Bible says we want God's blessing and they're good things. Quiet life, fun, all those things are great things. But we want them without God. And this quest leaves us empty, leaves us spiritually dead. Somebody get, I'm going to drop my pods all over the floor, but um, get rid of it. Um, somebody gave me this magazine, it's called Flow, and uh, you can probably tell if you can see it, it's not the kind of magazine I might normally read, it's kind of colourful and, and pretty and, and full of uh, crafty things. But um, this, uh, it has a fascinating article about happiness in it. And it's written not from a Christian point of view. It's written by a secular journalist who studied happiness. And one of the conclusions she comes to is this. If we are continuously searching for happiness, we often end up feeling dissatisfied and lost. And don't we know that to be so true? And the Bible says that's exactly what we'd expect. If we try and find happiness without God, it will leave us empty. And some of us get a glimpse of that when we hit rock bottom and we end up in the pigsty. But many of us don't see that. We get a glimpse of it. 
there's a gnawing away inside us, an emptiness. But so often we swat it away, don't we, with uh, um, uh, another film. We pretend it wasn't there as we buy another product. We try and fill the hole with another relationship or another experience. And if we're very skilled, we can push that feeling away for quite a long time. But that feeling is a reminder that one day the party will end. And even if we can push that feeling away to the end of our lives, one day we'll die and we'll face God not as a father, but as a judge, as people who scorned his love. And that feeling reminds us that the party will end. If it doesn't kill us in this life, it will in the next. And so Jesus would urge us, he'd plead with us this morning to come to our senses, to come back to God. That's the second thing I'd love us to lodge in our hearts. We need to come to our senses and come back to God. Look at verse 17. The son says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. He realizes I've got a father at home. I'm living here like an orphan. I'm living as if my father were dead. So he says, I'll go back to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of my, your hired men. And notice what he said. It's so important because he's modeling to us what we need to do if we want to come back to God. There's three bits to it, I think. First, he says, I've sinned. I've done wrong. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, oh, it's dad's fault. He brought me up the wrong way. He doesn't sort of play it down. Oh, I just wasn't thinking straight. No, he owns it. He mans up about it. I've sinned. I've done wrong. And then secondly, he realizes he's, what he's done has got consequences. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I've mucked up the relationship I was designed to have with you. And then third, he asks for mercy. Make me like one of your hired men. And a hired man in that time was lower than a slave. A Jewish slave was part of the, the, the owner's family. They were looked after and cared for. And after a time, they were enabled to go free. They were given property to, to set up their own house. But a hired man, he works when there's work to do. And when he doesn't, he's sent to the village square to find another master. I've sinned. I've destroyed the relationship. I don't deserve anything, but have mercy. And then he goes. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. And that's so crucial. It's possible, isn't it, to feel deeply embarrassed about something we've done wrong, to feel sorry about it, to, to want mercy, to want forgiveness, but never to ask for it. Maybe we're, we're too embarrassed to say sorry, too embarrassed to admit it's our fault. Maybe we, we feel sorry, but actually we quite like what we're doing. But a feeling isn't enough. A sentiment isn't enough. We need to go home. We need to go back to God. And that's what he does. He gets up. And he goes to his father. And I wonder what he expected. As he trudged home, I wonder what he expected. According to the law of the day, a son who treated his father like that could be stoned. Well, whatever he was thinking about as he trudged home, I'm sure he didn't expect what would happen next. This will blow his mind. He surely didn't dream of this. But what happens to him is a picture of what happens to anyone who knows they've blown it with God and comes back. And the third thing that Jesus would say to us this morning is come home and God will throw you a wonderful party. Come home and God will throw you a wonderful party. Look at verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? With anger? With disgust? 
with hatred? No, with compassion. And he runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. At the time, it would have been weird for an old man to run. Be like somebody in a a ball gown, running. Just doesn't happen, does it? And he runs. He doesn't care if it's odd. It's his beloved son. And he's come back. And he runs and he showers his son with kisses. It's like the kind of scene you might see at an airport, isn't it? If you've ever waited for a bag and you see lovers reunited at the airport. Or, or, Or a heroic son returning from war. There's no harsh words. There's love. And you see, this is a picture of God. He's waiting for people who've blown it with him to come back. The question on our invitations today that the title of the sermon was, is God waiting for me? And the answer is yes. Whatever you've done, if you've not come home, he's waiting for you. Well, the son begins his speech, doesn't he? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son but before he can finish before he can even ask for mercy quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger sandals on his feet he's wearing filthy rags isn't he it's covered in pig filth he stinks bring the best robe and put it on him there's no recrimination there's no rebuke but perfect restoration what's more put the ring on his finger It's probably a ring with a family kind of symbol or family likeness. And you see the point? He's welcomed back into the heart of the family. He's totally restored. And the Bible says when somebody comes home, there's not uh, begrudging forgiveness. There's total forgiveness. It's not that the slate is wiped clean and you earn your way into God's good books. No, you're welcomed back into the heart of God's family. It's wonderful. And this wonderful restoration calls for a celebration. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. These guys wouldn't have had meat very often. Celebration food. This is Christmas dinner, once a year celebration. Kill it today. It's only July, but kill it. Because my son has come home. It's August, isn't it? But anyway, you know the point. Come ho- my son has come home. Kill it. We've got to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And friends, do you see this outrageous mercy? That God is one who forgives everyone who comes back. He doesn't grumble or mutter. He doesn't begrudge. That though we've broken the relationship with him, we've never broken it too much to come back. And when we do, there'll be joy. There'll be a party in heaven. This is a party greater than any party the son enjoyed in in the far country. It's a party that speaks of great joy, not because it's wilder, Clearly, it isn't wilder, but it's genuine. It's a party that we were created to be at. It's the restoration of the relationship we were designed before the beginning of time to have. It's God not snatching God's gifts, but God's gifts with God. It's a joy that doesn't cease or disappoint, that lasts after death into eternity. A few years ago, I read this story. Uh, It's a true story called Enrique's Journey. Some of you may have read it. And Enrique's mother left him in Honduras when he was a small toddler. And she traveled all the way up to the United States because she wanted uh, wanted to earn enough money to support her family back home. Well, 11 years later, Enrique is utterly heartbroken. He longs to find his mother. He'll do anything to find his mother. 
And the book journeys his travel with so many other teenage boys from Honduras up to the United States. And to get there, he overcomes bandits. He has to deal with corrupt cops. He's arrested. He's robbed. He's nearly murdered. And the way he travels is, if you can see it, if, if you're near the front, he, there's a picture of a boy sitting on top of a freight train. And he clings to the top of these freight trains or the side of these freight trains. And many of those he travels with are, are knocked off. But he wants to do it all to find his mother. And if we'd asked him, Enrique, is it really worth it? He just said, yes, she's my mother. I love her. I want to go home and be with her. And what's more, she's not just my mother. She's my mother in the United States. There's a better life. Well, on his third attempt, he finally wades the river across the Mexico-US border, and he makes it into the United States. And he's reunited with his mother, and there's tears of joy. There's rejoicing. It's worth it. And friends, if we understood just how valuable the relationship with our Father God was, is we'd do anything to get it back. Not my mother in the United States, but my Father in heaven. And if that means riding on the top of a freight train, risking my life, it's worth it. But the wonder is God doesn't ask us to do that. He doesn't ask us to risk our lives. All we need to do is say sorry and come back. And God throws this amazing party for each of us. In a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And I'm going to invite Jamie Ball to come up and, and tell us a bit of his story about how he came back to God, his journey back to God. But before I do, can I just conclude by, by speaking directly to three different groups? I'm really aware that many of us here are Christians. We're people who've come home already, maybe a long time ago. Well, friend, I hope that you leave here this morning with joy that you've seen again, we, we were once far away from God. We rejected him. We, we treated him abysmally, and yet God welcomed us and loved us and brought us back into his family. Let's remember that. Let's leave here with great joy. But there's some here who've never really heard anything I've said, anything like this before. Maybe you've got a sense of uh, that kind of emptiness in your heart, and maybe from time to time you've wondered, what is that about? But the idea that there's a God and a God that you've offended and, and rejected, well, that just sounds a bit odd. Well, friend, can I say, don't swap that away. Don't fill that question up with, with another purchase or another relationship. Can I encourage you, come back and hear the second half of this story. See what God says to the older brother. Can I encourage you, come to our Christian Explored course. It's a six-week course where you can ask any question about God and hear what the message of, of Christianity is about. So much I, I can't say in, in 20 minutes this morning. But do come back. Do keep asking you questions. But it may be that there are others here this morning who know that they're in a pigsty of sorts. Maybe it's a pigsty that's really obvious to you and to everyone around you. Maybe it's a pigsty in your heart that nobody knows about. Others would say, all's well, but in your heart you know it's not. Well, Jesus would say to you this morning... God is waiting for you. The God longs to welcome you back. So Jesus would say to you this morning, in a minute as we pray, as we sing, say to God in the quiet of your heart, I've sinned. Father, I've mucked up the relationship. Please have mercy on me. And if you do, Jesus says, there'll be a party in heaven. God will rejoice over you and you'll be restored and forgiven because God is is waiting for you.
But let's take a moment in silence and then I'll pray. Father God, thank you so much for this wonderful message that Jesus has given us. Thank you that we can never get too far in this life to be beyond you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you're like a father who waits for each of us. And so, Father, we pray for all of us, whatever stage in the journey we're on, whether we're in the pigsty, whether we're still partying, whether we're halfway home, whether we're at home in our Father's loving arms, bring us all back. Help us all to understand your great love for us and bring us home that there might be a great party over us. For Jesus' sake, amen.